there could be unnerving, almost physically penetrative. The rest of his profile was contained in his psychiatric records. As to the wilderness within him, one could only surmise. Somewhere in Ward 4W were explosions and mayhem and screams, but they were soundless, confined to the patient's troubled dreams, which grew in vividness even as sleep itself began to ebb. These moments before consciousness, when the viewer is aware only of what he views, an eye without an eye, were filled by a series of images, each of which buckled like a film strip stopped before an overheated projector bulb. A political rally on a steamy day in Taiwan, thousands of citizens assembled in a large square, cooled only by the very occasional breeze. A political candidate, struck down in mid-sentence by a blast. Small, contained, deadly. Moments before, he had been speaking eloquently, ardently. Now he was sprawled on the wooden rostrum in a cowl of his own blood. He lifted up his head, gazing out at the crowd one final time, and his eyes settled on one member of the crowd. A Chang Bizi, a Westerner. The one person who was not screaming, crying, fleeing. The one person who did not seem surprised. For he was, after all, in the presence of his own handiwork. The candidate died staring at the one who had come from across the world to kill him. Then the image buckled, shimmied, burned into a blinding white. A far-off chime from an unseen speaker, a minor key triad, and Hal Ambler opened his sleep-sticky eyes. Was it truly morning? In his windowless room he had no way of telling, but it was his morning. Recessed into the ceiling, soft fluorescent lights grew in intensity over a half-hour period a technological dawn made brighter by the whiteness of his surroundings. A pretend day, at least, was beginning. Ambler's room was nine feet by twelve feet. The floors were tiled with white vinyl and the walls were covered with white PVC foam, a dense, rubbery material slightly yielding to the touch like a wrestling mat. Before long, the hatch-style door would slide open, making a hydraulic sigh as it did. He knew these details, and hundreds liked them. It was the stuff of life in a high-security facility, if you could call it a life. He experienced stretches of grim lucidity, intervals of a fugue state, a larger sense that he had been abducted, not just his body, but also his soul. In the course of a nearly two-decade career as a clandestine operative, Ambler had occasionally been taken captive. It had happened in Chechnya and in Algeria, and he had been subjected to periods of solitary confinement. He knew that the circumstance wasn't conducive to deep thoughts, soul-searching, or philosophical inquiry. Rather, the mind filled with scraps of advertising jingles, pop songs with half-remembered lyrics, and an acute consciousness of small bodily discomforts. It eddied drifted and seldom went anywhere interesting, for it was ultimately tethered to the curious agony of isolation. Those who had trained him for the life of an operative had tried to prepare him for such eventualities. The challenge, they had always insisted, was to keep the mind from attacking itself, like a stomach digesting its own lining. 
Yet on Parish Island, he wasn't in the hands of his enemies. He was being held by his own government, the government in whose service he had spent his career. And he did not know why. Why someone might be interned here wasn't a mystery to him. As a member of the branch of U.S. intelligence known as Consular Operations, he had heard about the facility on Parish Island. Ambler understood, too, why such a facility had to exist. Everyone was susceptible to the frailties of the human mind, including those in possession of highly guarded secrets. But it was dangerous to allow just any psychiatrist access to such a patient. That was a lesson learned the hard way, during the Cold War, when a Berlin-born psychoanalyst in Alexandria, whose clientele included several top government officials, came to be exposed as a conduit to East Germany's notorious Ministerium for Staatssicherheit. Yet none of this explained why Hal Ambler found himself here ever since... How long had it been? His training had stressed the importance of keeping track of time when in confinement. Somehow he had failed to do so, and his questions about duration went unanswered. Had it been six months? A year? More? There was so much he did not know. One thing he did know was that if he did not escape soon, he really would go mad. Routine Ambler could not decide whether the observance of it was his rescue or his ruin. Quietly and efficiently, he completed his personal calisthenics regimen, finishing with a hundred one-armed push-ups, alternating between left and right. Ambler was permitted to bathe every other day. This was not one of them. At a small white sink in a corner of his room, he brushed his teeth. The toothbrush handle, he noticed, was made of a soft, rubbery polymer, lest a piece of hard plastic be sharpened into a weapon. He pressed a touch latch, and a compact electric razor slid from a compartment above the sink. He was permitted precisely 120 seconds of use before he had to return the sensor tag device to its security compartment. Otherwise, an alarm would chime. After he finished, Ambler splashed water on his face and ran his wet fingers through his hair, finger-combing it into some sort of order. There was no mirror, no reflective surface anywhere. Even the glass in the ward was treated with some anti-reflective coating. All to some therapeutic end, no doubt. He donned his day suit, the white cotton smock, and loose, elastic-waisted trousers that were the inmate's uniform. He turned slowly when he heard the door slide open and smelled the pine-scented disinfectant that always lingered around the hallway. It was, as usual... A heavy-set man with a brush cut, dressed in a dove-gray poplin uniform, a cloth tab carefully fastened over his pectoral nameplate. Another precaution that the staff took on this ward. The man's flat bowels made it clear that he was a Midwesterner, but his boredom and incuriousness were contagious. Ambler took very little interest in him. More routine. The orderly carried a thick nylon mesh belt in one hand. Raise your arms, was the grunted instruction as he came over and placed the black nylon belt around Ambler's waist. Ambler was not permitted to leave his room without the special belt. Inside the thick nylon fabric were several flat lithium batteries. Once the belt was in place, two metal prongs were positioned just above his left kidney. 
The device, it was officially known as a REACT belt, the acronym standing for Remote Electronically Activated Control Technology, was typically used for the transport of maximum security prisoners. In Ward 4W, it was an item of daily attire. The belt could be activated from as far away as 300 feet and was set to deliver an 8-second charge of 50,000 volts. The blast of electricity would knock even a sumo wrestler to the floor, where he would twitch uncontrollably for 10 or 15 minutes. Once the belt was snap-locked in place, the orderly escorted him down the white-tiled hallway for his morning medications. Ambler walked slowly, lumberingly, as if he were wading through water. It was a gait that frequently resulted from high serum levels of antipsychotic medications, a gait that everyone who worked in the wards was familiar with. Ambler's movements were belied by the swift efficiency with which his gaze took in his surroundings. That was one of the many things the orderly failed to notice. There were few things that Ambler failed to notice. The building itself was decades old, but it had been regularly refurbished with up-to-date security technology. Doors were opened by chip cards, cards that contained transponder wafers, rather than keys, and major gateways required retinal scans to operate so that only authorized personnel could pass. About a hundred feet down the hall from his cell was the so-called evaluation room, which had an internal window of gray polarized glass that allowed for observation of the subject within, while making it impossible to observe the observer. There, Ambler would sit for regular psychiatric evaluations, the purpose of which seemed as elusive to the physician in attendance as it was to him. Ambler had known true despair in recent months.